Okay, welcome everyone to episode one uh, of The Lowdown. First episode of a new series, a new podcast with myself. And today I've got a very special guest to kick off things in the best way possible. Um, legendary MMA and Boxing Cup man. Um, Hollywood star as well, I'll see. Uh, Stitch Duran, Mr. Stitch Duran. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, well, thank you, Gilles. It's, uh, it's nice to be part of history and you know, different things that I do and seem to be part of your history here with uh, your first show, man. So uh, congratulations. I look forward to it. And like I say, feel free to ask any questions or if your viewers have any questions, let's let's talk, man. I always call it barbershop talk and, you know, I want the best for you. Spot on. Thanks very much. Thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it very much. And uh, obviously, it's great to have you on to hear about yourself and your career and, you know, what you've been through in the sport. And yeah. So first and foremost, um, the question I've asked, you know, boxers and, and trainers and cut men before and anyone in the sport, um, and I think you'll give me a good answer. Um, if you could sort of talk about your career and give it give it sort of one word, describe it in one word, um, what would that word be and, and why? Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the history that I have, uh, where I've come from, we've all come from, you know, different... Uh, different avenues, you know, a lot of them economically, they're, uh, you know, we're not at the highest level by any means. And uh, I happen to be one of those. You know, I grew up as a farm worker uh, in the Central Valley of California, which is the agricultural capital of the world. And uh, here they have, well, in our days, you know, I'm 70 years old, but they used to have migrant camps. And uh, basically what we did is we lived in the camps. The housing that the owner of the fields that we were working with, uh, they kind of made those available to us and we would work for them. So my address is like CPC number 12, California Packing Company number 12. Right? So, uh, yeah, so I come from that level, but I, I never forget that's my inspiration. And uh, that gave me the goal to, you know, never quit. And, you know, we always told ourselves I could always go back and pick tomatoes or pick cotton or pick peaches or pick. I could do that. You know, that's a skill level that I have. So uh, that's why I've always gone forward. But you know, to do all the things that I've done that have happened to me in my career have been uh, have been overwhelming, you know, and uh, I, I'm blessed every day and I thank God every day that I'm in this position because uh, I'm no different than anybody, you know, and that's why I wish you luck on yours because, you know, we're all the same guys. We just have a desire and uh, it's that never quit uh, attitude. Yeah, definitely. I think it all stems back to so how bad you want it, you know, you can have a dream, you can want to achieve something in your life, um, but how bad you really want to do that? How, how, how far are you willing to go to achieve that? So, yeah, you know, you've, you've done very well and, you know, it's proved that with who you've worked with in the past. Um, how does a person like yourself end up being a cut man? What route did you take? How did you get into this, this, this you know, this, this field of, of the sport? Yeah, I, uh, I had a, a message request today, a guy that's a coach now wants to, transition into wrapping hands and being a cut man and then he asked me uh and i get these requests all the time right so uh but yeah i you know so i grew up as a young farm worker but growing up i always played american baseball and i was pretty good at baseball right so i when i graduated from high school i walked on to merced college which was a college nine miles away from my town and but i didn't have a car so i would go to school with friends and um they would stay and do their school and then they would go home after school and I'd stay and I'd practice with the team and uh, I would have to hitchhike home, you know, nine miles uh, just to go home. And, you know, I, I was naive. I didn't know about grants and scholarships or talking to the coach. And, 
so I joined the military in 1972. I joined the Air Force and uh, uh, 1974, they stationed me in a place called Thailand. And I always told myself that if I ever went to the Orient, then I would want to study the martial arts. That was during the Bruce Lee era. So I saw my first Muay Thai fight and that whole year I dedicated my life to it and got back to the States and got into boxing to improve my hands. And, uh, and there I started training amateur boxers. And uh, from there I grew to, I opened up my own school of kickboxing and uh, trained amateurs and just kids and professional fighters. And, was good as a trainer and I started working with you know different fighters from all over high level kickboxing and uh, but I made the move to Vegas 26 years ago Las Vegas uh, from California just to follow my dreams because this is uh, the boxing capital of the world as it's you know it's been known right and uh, and I didn't come to be a trainer uh, came because I thought all the great trainers were here in Las Vegas and I was a trainer before I was a cut man but I was a good cut man right so I, I did a lot of international fights so uh, when I came to Vegas, I came with some kind of experience and people didn't know who I was. But I was in the gyms looking at guys train and I said, man, I could do that. And I could do that. And I started training boxers. But I always had an eight to five job, so I couldn't give them 150%. Uh, but from there, I made the transition. You know, I, I went there to be solely as a cut man. And I started working my first fights. And from there, it progressed. And then the, I knew Dana White in the gyms way before the UFC. And uh, he's the one that brought me in when they first bought the UFC. And I think there was like 12 members in, in the company. Now it's, it's a big giant company. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, that gave me my start, my recognition. And, and uh, like I say, the UFC let me go and that gave me recognition in a different chapter. <laughs> and I just carried on on, <clears throat> on things that I did. And right now I'm, you know, I'm filming Creed 3 and, you know, uh, you were talking about acting and I'm not an actor, but I've been blessed with like seven or eight opportunities. So I, I, I challenge them just like, you know, we talked earlier about going forward and challenging and, you know, things just happen to me. And uh, what makes me proud okay, to this point is for everything that's happened, I've never asked for one job. You know, just people come and things happen and uh, I'm doing okay. Yeah. I think when people at boxes um, approach you instead of you approaching them, I think it says a lot about you and what you've achieved and how good you are at your job. Because, um, you know, the standard job is you'd apply for a job, you'd have an interview, you'd get the job, you'd work. But when, you know, the employer approaches you before you approach them, I think it says a lot. And it goes to show that with some of the fighters you've worked with in the past as well, um, you know, you can't be too bad at your job. I think you're pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm all right, man. It's, it's fun, you know, and, and it's to the point now where I, I've, I mean, you know, I've worked with the best of the best of the best of, in all sports, in kickboxing and in MMA and I've done bare knuckle fighting and of course boxing and I've worked with so many so many world title fights that it's not even I tell people it's not even about the fights no more it's it's about the characters that are yeah. I'm working with during these events you know because once I get in the ring my job is all mechanical but it's the psychological advantage of going in there knowing that I'm there to take care of you and and uh, and and have fun when we're doing it so yeah, yeah that's that's my, my approach and the, not even a job. Yeah, yeah, it's an yeah, adventure. Yeah. yeah, but it's more of a hobby for you now, I suppose. Um, right. I just wanted, wanted to touch on, um, you know, boxing more, more than anything. Uh, you've worked with, like you said, some of the biggest and the best, or the biggest and best stars in the sport. Um, you know, the Klitschko brothers, Tyson Fury, Andre Ward, to name just a few. Um, out of or everyone you've worked with in the past and everyone that you're working with now, who, which, which boxer has had, the, the, you know, the biggest influence on you? Which one is sort of, 
you know, you've worked with them and you've sort of thought to yourself, wow, this this person and this boxer is really special. Who you know, who was who that to you? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the, uh, the Klitschko's and, and the Klitschko's fall up on top. You know, I'm not going to, you know, kind of sugarcoat this, but they were just the best of the best of the best, man. And, you know, for me to be honored to have worked with both of them, because I started off with Vladimir Klitschko and actually it goes way back. So, uh, we'll, since we're talking barbershop talk, I'll, I'll give you 19, I say December the 12th, 1991. Wow. Uh, and the, when the Soviet Union first broke, right? I, I had a school of kickboxing and the, uh, the Ukraine wanted a team of boxers, American boxers and American kickboxers to go to Kiev to fight the Ukrainians. And at that time I had Mark Longo, which was a light heavyweight world champion kickboxer. So we went to the, uh, to the Ukraine and it was freezing. It was December the 12th, like I say, either 91, 92. I say 91, literally says 92, but he's probably right. Uh, but so at that point, the Klitschko's were already, they were still amateurs, but they were still big, big names. There was big posters on them on the walls and all that. And so I saw them then, but then years, years later, going forward, they came and they trained in Las Vegas. And when I started speaking to them, uh, they remembered that event and then I brought a poster of because uh, I had everybody sign it. I was still, you know, I had everybody sign it. It was historical. And they remembered those events. So going fast forward, when Vladimir Klitschko and Lennox Lewis filmed Ocean's Eleven, Vladimir, uh, I was the cut man for Vladimir Klitschko. And uh, it was, you know, it was a four-day shoot, but nonetheless, I got to meet Vladimir Vitali one-on-one and all that. And of course Lennox Lewis. Uh, but then when it was time to, for Vladimir to fight, he told Emmanuel Stewart that he was working with as his coach, that I want the guy that was the cut man in the movie. And, uh, so Emmanuel Stewart is commentating for HBO and I'm at the MGM uh, hotel with a friend of mine and we're watching five people going to the arena, just kind of people watching and Emmanuel Stewart comes by and he's in a tuxedo and he looks at me, he says, I want to talk to you about Vladimir. And I looked at my buddy, Steve, I said, you see what I saw? And so the next day he called me, he said, Vladimir wanted the, the guy that was a cut man in the movie. So I started working with him. And then, uh, you know, I helped him on his first fight. I literally won the fight for him when he had a big old cut. I had the doctor stop it on purpose because uh, I knew he was winning. They went to the scorecards, he won and became a world champion. And Vitaly had already retired. He had fought that great fight with Lennox Lewis. Yeah. That was his claiming fame, but then he came back and he fought your uh, a Brit, uh, Danny Williams, at the Mandalay Bay. And I started working with Vitaly Klitschko at that time. And at that time, we wore orange because he, they were already fighting for the what they called the Orange Revolution. And that was already, you know, they were so there as brothers, they were always fighting for the proper things of, of uh, Ukraine, trying to make it better. Now they're in the heat of battle in Kiev. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, but, but outside of that, Business-wise, they were like the best of the best of the best. You know, just very humble and uh, very appreciative of what we all did and, and great teamwork. But yeah, they fall on top. Yeah, obviously, um, everyone knows the Klitschko's and uh, how influential they were <laughs> inside the sport and outside the sport. Now, in particular, as well, with all they're doing in Ukraine and you know fighting yeah. and protecting their country, it's, it's, it's you know it's admirable, really, because um, there's not many boxers and not many people that would do what they're doing. So hats off to them. Um, really is inspirational. I wanted to... Um... And, and let me add also now, on, uh, yeah. uh, Usak and Lomachenko, 
yep. have also done the same thing as yes. they sacrificed their boxing careers to stay and and fight. You know, of course. And yep. that shows me. But you know, that's the way these guys are. Okay? Yeah. Their mentality is so much different than yep. everybody else. Even when I start rapping the, because I work with a lot of Soviet Union, Eastern Bloc fighters, right. and when I, they're very solid and straight. They mm. don't say a lot, but by yep. the time I finish with them, they're giving me hugs. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I understand their mentality. They have that warrior mentality, but then they understand that I'm there to take care of them. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, like you said there, you speak in Lomachenko again, like the Klitschko's doing what they're doing for their countries is um so inspirational and uh, you know, I take my hat off to them. Um because I, I you know, I don't think I'd be able to do what they do now. So especially to sacrifice their careers, uh, especially Lomachenko. I knew Sick was still active fighters and you know, still able to well use it heavyweight champion of the world and Lomachenko, um former uh, lightweight champion of the world. It really is um, you know, really, really respectable. Um, I want to stick with the heavyweight division and somebody you've worked with more recently, um, Tyson Fury. Um, you've been with him for his last few fights, and um, I've heard you're not going to be with him um, for the Dillian White fight, though, which is unfortunate. Um, what is he like as a character? Because we've all seen what he's like, you know, from you know outside of the ring and in the press conferences and in the weigh-ins. But from somebody who's in his corner, you know, practically, you know, if he has a cut, you're the man. You know, yeah. what is he like from that perspective? Yeah, you know, you're asking about, you know, who the most I gave you, the Klitschko brothers in, in that instance, right? But but for just being the funnest guy to be with, bro, mm. it's Tyson Fury, hands down. Mm. Ah, he just, he just, he has fun. And and yeah. I'm the kind of guy where whenever I'm wrapping your hands, I'm taking care of you, I'm relaxed also like him. Yeah. But he just so, he's fun to work with, man. There's never, there's never a dull moment when, uh, yeah. when you're around Tyson Fury and, and, and dedicated for training. Yep. You know, that's, uh, I think I mentioned that to you before is, you know, I've worked with so many fighters that they'll figure ways out to take a break during a three minute training. Yep. Tyson Fury, whether he's jumping rope or shadow boxing or whatever he's doing, he's giving you three minutes worth of work. And to me, when I saw that originally, I thought uh, that was very unique because it doesn't happen all the time, but it just shows me his discipline. But yeah, super guy, man. super. You got to love the guy. Yeah. So he, um, he's going to be, uh, using the cut man that he fight, he uses in the UK, and I understand. You know, economically, it makes a lot of sense, and you know, it's nice that he doesn't forget this guy uh, that's working with him. And you know, so props to him, respect to him. Uh, I'll be there that uh, that day after. I'm working that Martin Ford and uh, the Iranian Oak event at the O2 Arena the following week. You know, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. 100% yes uh, thanks for sharing um, I'm obviously a big fan of Tyson Fury being from the UK and seeing what he's achieved over his career as well it's, it's very inspirational and someone that I admire quite a lot um, you know let me let, let me add one thing about Tyson which I yeah, go ahead. right off the bat when I first met him that showed yep. me that this man is is a man of respect and all that so I walk into top rank gym to meet him and he's putting his shoelaces on he's on the steps going up to the ring and Yep. He stands up and comes, oh, the best cut man in boxing. Welcome to the team. <laughs> and he gives me a hug, right? So we're talking, and and uh, we're talking about the cuts because that's why I'm there. Jorge Capetillo, when he worked the cuts on Tyson Fury, is not really a cut man, but he's been around the game long enough to know that, you yep. know, what he did was what he saw the cut man do. And he, he told me, I was praying every round, you know, but he got Tyson to that level. But he yep. also tells him, that says, you know, get Stitch because Stitch is a better cut man than me. But so we're talking about the cuts and I'm telling them whoever showed them up did a great job. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep ice on you every round and they're going to wait till you start swallowing. I'm going to 
do a lot of preventing maintenance and I'll be working on you. And, and then I, I look at him, I say, you know, Tyson, <clears throat> and one of the reasons why the UFC let me go is because of sponsorships, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, but I said, look, I work with sponsors. Do you mind if I make an outfit, my cornerman jacket to match yours, your colors and put my sponsors on it? And he puts his head on my shoulder and he says, Stitch, you can do whatever you want. As long as there's no drugs, alcohol or gambling. And with that, we gave each other a hug and, you know, became a part of the team. So he's that kind of guy. Yeah, he seems very like you know quite quite a likable guy. Um, you know, someone that you could, you know, have a lot of fun with, and and yeah. it's sort of, sort of you know nice to be around. More, you know, more than anything. Um, YouTube boxing has taken over. Well, not taken over, but it's played a massive part in the sport itself for the last few years. And you yourself have had a first-hand experience in that, um, working in the scene alongside people like you know KSI, uh, Annie Sunkib. Um, what is your overall take on YouTube boxing being implemented into the sport? Well, you know, you look at social media right now, it's insane. You know, you look at, uh, you're at the airport and, and you're watching all these people that are standing or walking or sitting and 90% of them are looking at their phone, right? So that's the new generation of marketing, right? And I understand marketing. You know, I, I, I'm a big fanatic on, on marketing. I've gotten here on my own through marketing. You got to market a brand. Well, the same thing with uh, boxing. Uh, the Zone, I thought they were the first ones when they did KSI and Logan Paul and I had the chance of working with KSI for six weeks and and uh, I understood the marketing aspect because the zone works on a subscription basis and I didn't know who Logan Paul, uh, Logan Paul, Jake Paul, or even KSI or Anson Gibb were, you know, but I knew that they got a shitload of followers, right? And uh, so when I looked at that, I, I made so much sense for the zone to put this event together. It was the main event of, uh, I think there was a world championship fight before our, ours, and that's that just doesn't happen. But I knew it was different because when we walk into the, the the dressing rooms, and it's me and, and Vidal, uh, Riley and Leon, and so we're guys working the corners, so we go drop our stuff off. We go to ringside, and we'll look at what corner we'll work in, the red corner or the blue corner, and then we'll confirm each other's assignments. You know, Vidal's the head trainer, you're inside. I'm working the right side, just give me his face. Leon, you handle the stool, the water. So we went through all those motions, but walking into the arena, nobody knew who I was. Everybody knew who Vidal was, right? Yeah. Who Leon were. So I knew it was a different world. And uh, you know, like say I'll, on the 30th, I'll be with uh, Martin Ford and, and the Iranian Hope. And once again, I didn't know who they were, you know, but uh, doing some, uh, uh, some studying on them, it's a social media event. Yeah. Yeah, I think social media. Well, well let me ask you now, because I used go to call a radio show. Let me ask you, yep. what's your opinion of these? YouTube, of YouTube boxing. Um, yeah. I think at first I was quite, you know, uh, skeptical about it all because um, I'm a boxing purist, uh, very old fashioned. You know, you look at the classic fighters, uh, you know, Ray Leonard, Ray Robinson, um, you know, Roberto Duran. Um, you know, these are guys who gave, you know, so much to the sport and always well respected. Um, but on the other hand, I think YouTube boxing brings a whole different level and whole different opinion to the sport, whole different fan base, really. You know, these are guys who've been on YouTube the whole whole careers and now they're bringing those people into into boxing and not only watching themselves, but watching, you know, other fighters, you know, giving other fighters exposure. Because, you know, if they're, if you know, with KSI and Logan Paul, Jake Paul, they're boxing on, you know, their own ESPN, Sky Sports. Um, that's a huge platform. And if people, if their fans are watching them on that platform, 
it exposes you know the younger fighters, you know other fighters who are also on on the same shows as them. I think it's overall. I've, I don't mind it. I'm happy to see it. It's good to see. It's it's refreshing. I think um, is a word I'm looking for. But yeah, yeah. I'm uh, I am I am a fan, and I think Jake Paul's done pretty well. Yeah, Jake Paul is a master of what he's doing, and he's milking yeah. it big time. And and <laughs> and that's what I'm talking about. It's the power of social media, yeah. right? And uh, so, but yeah, you know, give all these guys credit. You know, KSI, uh, Anson Gibb, especially. You know, these guys were not fighters. Yeah. KSI is more of an athlete. Anson was was not he didn't even know who I was. So he showed you the the depth of his boxing knowledge. But when it came to heart and so in the training aspect of it, I gotta give Anson Gibbs a, a whole lot of credit because he was a warrior. He was a, a he turned himself into a Mike Tyson type of guy mentally and physically. He just got caught early with Jake Paul. KSI on the other side, 100 percent athlete, and he turned into a fighter. I blessed him as a fighter. I said, man, you're doing a good job. And so props to these guys because they came into our world not yep. knowing anything. And, you know, as Mike Tyson always said when I interviewed him one time, I said, fighters, every fighter has that one little thing that nobody has. What is it? Very simply, he says, take the pain. You have to take the pain. And that's what these guys did. They went into a chapter of their life they didn't expect. And to get there, you got to take pain. <laughs> so yeah. respect to them. Of course, yeah. I think it's... Sort of single swim for many fighters who enter boxing without any knowledge or any idea of what it takes. Um, I think you either got it or you haven't. And these guys are proven that they've got it. You know, they've worked hard in the gym and they've done well on the fight night. So you know, credit to them, like you said. And I think it is refreshing to see um, you know you, you know new faces in the sport. Um, yeah, I am a fan overall. Um, moving on then uh, to another project of yours that you've worked on in the past. Um, I did mention it at the start about you being a sort of a Hollywood star um, and the fact that you work with, um, you know, in the Rocky films and the Creed films. Um, I'm a huge Rocky fan. I'm a huge Creed fan as well. Um, you know, being in that environment and having that experience working with people like Sylvester Stallone, Michael B. Jordan, um, how has it been for you overall since you started all that musical? It blows my mind, Rob, even all the way up till now, you know, and I'm uh, just saying, why me, you know? Yeah. But as I look at it, is as uh, you know, all these good things had to happen to somebody. For them to happen, it has to happen to somebody. I just happen to be that somebody, you know. And I understand, and I'm blessed. But you know, I tell people, who do you know have done three movies with Rocky? I did. Balboa and Rocky Fighters last fight. I was in the other corner with Antonio Tarver, Mason and Dixon. But nonetheless, Sylvester Stallone wrote, directed, and acted in Balboa. So I got to be part of that, right? And then Creed One and Creed Two, and uh, and now with you know, so I've done those three movies with Sylvester Stallone and and three with Michael B. Jordan. Who do you know have done three movies with Michael B. Jordan, right? Yeah, exactly. I have. So yeah. I, I'm still that kid that grew up as a farm worker. I never. That's always my roots. That's my base. That's what gives me the strength and <laughs> to continue going. And and I'm always that kid. I'm thinking, wow, look where I'm at right now with these superstars. And uh, so yeah, it's quite a mind-blowing experience, man. And uh, yeah, I'm filming Creed Three right now. You know, Michael had told me three years ago when we were filming the Creed Two, I'm wrapping his hands and I'm telling him how proud I am of him and Tessa and Ryan Coogler that wrote and directed Creed and Black Panther and you know the young brothers and Steve Capo and he said, Stitch, we went from being actors to writers, producers, and directors. And he looks at me like I'm looking at you. And he says, I'm directing Creed 3. 
and you're with me as long as you want. Man, he was a man of his word. You know, when we first met on the set, <laughs> I'm walking towards my trailer and he's coming out of his and he sees me and we give each other a hug, man. I love you right off the bat, you know. And we start talking about how proud I am of him. We both start choking up. So we got to go our own way, yeah. you know. <laughs> and, uh, but, but it shows the, you know, that type of thing, you know. Uh, and yeah, working with Sylvester Stallone was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, obviously he's a legend and I grew up. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I sort of fell in love with boxing and was so interested in boxing from an early age was being introduced to the Rocky films. Um, yeah. You know, my dad introduced me to them from an early age and yeah, I just fell in love with them. And, you know, when he fought Drago, when he fought Club of Lang, when he fought Apollo Creed, um, yeah, very special. And you've worked with those, you know, those kind of people and you've worked with Rocky himself. So, yeah, but it's been a, a great experience for you. Yeah. And then a couple of things from, actually three things with Sylvester Stallone is... Uh, in, in the script, my name was Marcel, right? And number one, I don't know anybody named Marcel. And, uh, you know, of the movies I've done, I played myself, right? So I'm thinking, well, I'm going to have to change that somehow. But it was cool because when it was time for Rocky to introduce us to Adonis in Creed One, uh, he goes and he says, yeah, this is Stitch. He's the best cub man in Philadelphia. And bro, deep inside, uh, my heart's beating a thousand miles an hour because Sylvester Stallone, Rocky just said Stitch is the best cup man in Philadelphia. And uh, so I was happy. And then the second line that he used was ad-libs. He just did on his own because we do different takes and they'll get the best position and all that. But the second one he said that I liked, but they used the original one. He says, oh, this is Stitch. He's so good as a cup man, he should have been a surgeon. And I thought that was great, man, you know. But I also told him during the, the filming uh, I said, man, you know, cause we're talking just like you and I are talking, you know, we have six weeks of work and a lot of it filming, you spend a lot of time doing nothing. And, yeah. uh, but I'm telling him, I said, you know, it's, I can't sleep at night. He said, well, what's up? I said, well, you know, I'm thinking here I am with you and Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler and Tessa and Felicia Rashad. And, you know, he said, Hey man, you earned it. You know, and that's why at that point, that's why I said it had to happen to somebody. I just happened to be that guy that uh, was given the chore being in these movies so yeah it's quite a mind-blowing experience yeah it's well it's crazy to hear that you know um rocky uh just one of probably my favorite ever movie and to know that you've been in now you've experienced that firsthand uh, i'm very jealous first of all and uh yeah but you know but for you it's just been an amazing experience overall yeah and then let me give you another story with stallone is when joe cortez the referee hall of fame referee called me he said hey, man we got a part you know for you uh baboa movie and this mm-hmm. and that well, I, I told him no, because I had already scheduled a world title fight with Fabrice Tiozo, which was a cruiserweight champ out of France. He was going to be fighting in Paris, I think. And just by the grace of God, the week after, I was going to be in London with Audley Harrison. Right. And uh, I was negotiating at that time. And I, I told him no, you know, because I was thinking economically. This yeah. money's already getting. I knew nothing about that. And, but I called my wife at work, and my wife says, are you crazy? said, you have to take it. Rocky's an American icon. And I thought about it and I said, yeah, she's right. You know, sometimes it's not about the economics, it's about the positioning. So I was already dealing with Audley Harrison's people and I deleted it and I said, look, I hope you understand that so-and-so. And and they did. And it turns out that the fight in Paris, France got canceled anyway. So, (laughs) yeah. So (laughs) I almost blew that opportunity. 
Yeah, I was close. I was close. Uh, I don't blame you for taking it in the end. I, w- I definitely would have done the same as you. Um, yeah, probably your way of advice, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, if it ever comes to me that I get an opportunity, I'll definitely make sure I call her first and uh, and uh, ask the question. Um, you've obviously been um, a cut man for, you know, in boxing, and you've, you've obviously travelled all over the world to do that job. Um, you know, you've been everywhere, I'm, I'm assuming, pretty much. Uh, if you, you know, could give us your favourite all-time sort of arena or stadium to go for a fight um, that could be as, an, as a spectator or as a cut man you know doing the job um, which one would it be you know oh man there's so many Tough you know one uh, one memorable fight was I used to after I left the UFC I did the pride fighting plus right. you know I've gone to Japan for boxing and all that and uh yeah. But I hadn't been there for a while, and uh, I went back with uh, for a show. And as I'm walking into the arena with my bucket for the first fight, I think it was the last UFC show in Japan that I went to. I'm walking in with my bucket before the fight start, and from the audience, you can hear people state sign, state sign. They're calling me from out there, and I'm looking, wow, man, all these. This is at the you know big old yeah. arena and. I'm thinking, wow, people are recognizing me. But yeah, there's been a lot of great memorable moments, a lot of great places. And yeah, it's tough just to give you one or two, man. You yeah. know, this is real de Janeiro. You know, the yeah. fights up there, uh, mm. people are just swarming and, you know, it's just unbelievable. You know, stop me in the streets, mm. cops pointing at me, you know, going like this over their eyebrow. And, and um, so, yeah, a lot of great places. I can imagine yeah, I've been to quite a few and like you said, obviously with the UFC and boxing, um, the oh, UFC obviously man. go to Brazil, like you've said, and boxing obviously all over the world and um, globally. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so even even uh, Vladimir Klitschko when he fought Anthony Joshua Wembley Stadium. Wembley, yeah. Bro, for the loudest, hands down, that yeah. had to be the loudest. I, mm-hmm. I thought at one time we did a show in Toronto and it was real loud, uh, but there was like 50,000 people, right? Mm. Wembley Stadium had 90,000 crazy Brits and that's like 250,000 of somebody else. But out of respect, this was like a Rocky movie and Vladimir Mm. Klitschko even brought it up that, you know, they're yelling, Klitschko, Klitschko, and respect, Joshua, Joshua. Best fight that Vladimir ever had, he said. Yeah, well, yeah, that was a great fight. And I remember that fight like it was yesterday. Um, A crazy, crazy fight, Uh, you know, could still come so close and then Joshua pulled it back. Yeah, it was it was one of the best I've seen in modern era, 100%. Um, well, well, real quick, before you go to the, yeah, let me yeah. give you another quick story with Vladimir on that moment, right? Yeah. I didn't see Vladimir till the weigh-ins because my daughter Carla had gotten married uh, Thursday or Wednesday in, in Crete. So yeah. Thursday I flew in, Thursday night I flew in. So I didn't see him to the weigh-ins, but like Tyson Fury, I'm talking to Vladimir and we're going over the game plan and what happened. I understand you know, the night before they can't sleep. They're jittery, they're, so they're nervous. So I put my hand on them, I said, oh, Vladimir, don't worry about nothing tomorrow. We'll take care of you like you're my son. And I take off, because I know I left that in him. I'm putting the Vaseline on him right before Michael does the announcement, Michael Buffer does the announcements. The whole world is watching and we're this far apart. And he says, you could call me son. (laughs) Ah, my man, I knew I got right up on him, you know, and, uh, he says, one of the best fights I ever had in my life. So he knew, you know, that I'm going to take care of him. 
Yeah, I think a fighter sort of puts their trust in you as well, you know, when yeah. you're working with them, because if they have a cut, you know, we know what boxes like, anything can happen and seen some of the cuts over the years that have happened to certain fighters. Um, you know, you're the, you're the guy who, who deals with that and is sort of putting, you know, into that pressure where you've got, you know, a minute or just under a minute to deal with that. Um, yeah. yeah, Andre Ward, when he, we yeah. got cut, I remember he said his quote was, and this is an interview, yeah, I got cut and yeah. it kind of freaked me out a little bit, but then mm. I thought, oh, I got stitch in my corner. Yeah. You know, that was, that was something that he said during an interview. So mm. I thought that was pretty nice. Yeah. That said it all. Yeah, of course. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's that's that, that's crazy to think. You know, someone like that, have a legend of boxing, saying that about you. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, so last question then, um, and one that I think, well, one that I would definitely um, I've wanted to ask you since um, since I, I knew I was going to get you on the show. Um, if you could go back to any year in boxing, um, it could be fifty years ago, ten years ago, five years ago, and pick a fighter to work with um, for the biggest fight of their life, um, who would it be and why? Oh, I had to go Roberto Duran. You know, I've always been, and my last name Duran, and not, yeah, that helps. But, but I love this style of fighting. Uh, Alexis Aguayo was another guy, but if I had a choice to work one of the the two, it would have to be Roberto Duran, and uh, you know, against him and Marvin Hagler would have been great. You know, oh, yeah, so Roberto good. Duran for sure. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say Roberto Duran, a legend of the sport, and you know, uh, shares a last name with you. Any relation? No, not at no. all. But you know, another little side note story is Concha Zoo was fighting. Uh, uh, I can't remember who was fighting, and uh, that was at the Mandalay Bay. And yep. uh, I'm walking with some friends down the hallway, and Roberto Duran comes out of the restroom, and he comes up to me and gives me a hug and tells me in Spanish that he's so proud of what I'm doing. That's when I was with the UFC, right, but yeah. what I'm doing with the fighters and this and that and this and that, and and uh, we hug and he takes off, and my friends are saying. Roberto Duran, huh? <laughs> you know, so yeah, it just happened that he came up to me and recognized me and, and appreciated what I've done. So, yeah. Amazing. Well, yeah, I was going to say someone like that to say that to you, um, you know, just out, out of the blue as well, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. I would have been, I, I, I would have been in shock myself, 100%. <laughs> um, yeah, Stitch, listen, thank you so much for coming on and doing this. It'll be my first show, first episode of the new show. Um, yes. Really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you all the best for this year. Well, I'm guessing you've got some big uh, big fights to be dealing with this year as well. So thank you very much again. And uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you very much, Stitch. All right, well, good job. Appreciate it also. Huh? Thanks very much.